Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you. Man, I'm so glad you're here. We are walk, walking our way through Genesis, and I'm coming in here presuming that you're reading the text. Remember that? I said, hey, you got to read the text. Should I ask for a show of hands? Okay, so uh, really, if you're not reading, I, I'm, I can't cover these large chunks of scriptures. If that interests you, we have a reading plan right out back at the volunteer gallery, man. We can give you one and follow along with us uh, because we decided to finish up the book of Je- Genesis and not take a millennia to do it, all right? So, uh, so we're going through large chunks of scripture, and uh, for you to kind of have the historical narrative and know the story, man, is really beneficial. If you're not yet in a small group. It's not too late. Okay, get a grow book. Find a small group that fits your where you are in your life, your time, and, and join one, all right? And the way that you prepare for your small group is take notes. So everybody get your note sheet out, all right? And take notes. And I'm actually going to have you do some side notes here this morning. But uh, I don't know if you've ever been wronged. I'm sure you have. We all have. I, I remember one that sticks out in my mind. Um, was when I graduated college, I uh, needed a car, and I took all the money that I had, which wasn't much, and I got the newspaper uh, to buy a used car. How many of you all remember buying newspapers through, I mean, buying a car through the newspaper, right? Like, you old people, I mean, you young people, the internet didn't always exist. That's what the old people used to do, okay? And so, you know, you go through the classified ads, and uh, I was looking, like most of us would, I was looking for, I was looking for low miles. I wanted something in my price range with low miles, and and I found it uh, in a 1984, I believe, Pontiac Grand Prix, Yes. How many of you are still driving that vehicle? Be honest now, right? And, and so for you people who are like, I don't know what that is, it's basically a shoebox on wheels, okay? Um, and so that's what it looked like. And I buy this thing and I come home with it and it looks great and it's huge and probably left a massive carbon footprint or whatever. And so um, huge thing. And so I go uh, to a friend to have it serviced. And uh, I think I had the oil change, and when I pick it up after having it service, he kind of pulls me aside. He's like, I got some really bad news for you. And I said, what? And he goes, I think your odometer has been tampered with. I think that car has a lot more miles on it than you think it does. And I just remember like, ugh, you know, feeling violated and and feeling cheated out of my Pontiac Grand Prix, you know? And uh, I've I'm getting over it still. So uh, anyway, but you know, but we've all been wronged, right? And and there's various levels of that. And um, the truth is, um, you know, that's certainly not my worst wronged in life. But but some of you are sitting here this morning, man, and there's a there's a, been a wrong against you that that hurts, right? At a deep level, there's been somebody that hurt you or wounded you that maybe you've never even told anybody about. Maybe. Maybe the wound is so deep it's even criminal, right? And so we have those deep, deep wounds this morning. And, and so this morning, I think our text walks us through how to repair some of the hurts in our heart, okay, which is really the seeds of the gospel, and if I, was gonna, if I was going to walk us through some hurts, I mean, you know, maybe you're here and you've been hurt because of your skin color. There's been racism against you, and, and that has hurt. And 
And maybe, maybe there's been some kind of a sexual abuse and uh, our spouse that has abused. I mean, we could go on and on. Our parent that did not live according to the means and the way a parent should live and raise their children. And so there's, there's hurts and there's wounds. And so now, you know, now I went from preaching to meddling, right? And so, so there's some deep, deep wounds in us. And so I want to unpack this this morning. But before I do that, let me, let me kind of give you the broader picture, okay? And so you guys have known, like this started with Jacob a couple weeks ago, and Jacob was a schemer, right? And he, he, he stole his, his brother's birthright, he stole his brother's blessing, and he, he's just kind of a scheming guy. Even though God said, you're, you're my chosen one, you're the one that's going to, you know, out of the downline of Abraham, out of the nation of Israel, the Messiah is going to come out of the nation of Israel, all of this out of this, this schemer named Jacob. And so we see that, and then Jacob kind of goes off to another country to find a wife, and he runs into his uncle, a guy, a guy by the name of Laban, and, and Laban and him, like, it's just this really, really 20-year broken relationship where they're scheming each other, and they're mean to each other, and, and, and it's just really broken, Right? And so Jacob finally decides to leave, to go back to his home country, the promised land, essentially. Decide, God tells him to go back, and, and, and he goes, and he packs up his family, and he packs up his flocks, and he heads back to the promised land, and he doesn't tell Laban. And so Laban finds out a few days later, and so Laban essentially hunts him down, if you will. They, he goes after Jacob and his, his daughters and, and the sheep and the stuff that, that Jacob had left with, and they meet up in the wilderness, and and, and, and in the wilderness, God appears to Laban and he essentially says, don't, don't you harm Jacob. And so what we see at the end of the text that we're going to cover this morning is that Jacob and, and Laban make amends, okay? And so we're going to go through, we begin to see the touches of God on the hand of Jacob's life. In fact, these are, these are really some of the first times Jacob really begins to acknowledge the hand of the Lord in his life. And so this morning, you know, the truth is, I mean, if we're really honest for a minute, if we're really honest, okay, every single one of us has been the victim of a harm against us. Now, here's the uncomfortable truth. And we've also been the victimizer. We, we've harmed someone else. And, and we're living in a culture where I feel like we're, we're carrying the weight of being a victim, and it's, it's paralyzing many of us to the things that God has for us beyond just living life as a victim. And so my hope is by the end of this that you'll begin to see how God can restore and redeem and reconcile brokenness. That's my hope. Now, here's the Bible word, okay? Here's the Bible word. We use the word victim, but the truth is we've all been sinned against, Yes, people have sinned against us, and we've all sinned against others, yes? And so we have to recognize where we fit in the scheme of God's plan in order for there to be healing. So the first thing I want you to see this morning, all right, I want to pull a couple points out. And I think this is the beginning of healing and reconciliation with God first, of course, and then with others. The first thing we see is that God prospers and protects Jacob, and Jacob has been both the victim and the victimizer. And this is, this is both your story and my story. 
But we can't find healing until we understand that ultimately what's, what's happening here is it's God's story. If we, if we don't see your story, my story, Jacob's story, Laban's story as a God story, then our lives can be all about seeking and getting revenge. And that will consume you in an unhealthy way. But when Jacob begins to acknowledge, you know what, God has prospered me. God has protected me. And so in Genesis chapter 31, verses 6 through 9, where, where Jacob talks to his wives, he says, basically, we got to get out of here. And he says, you know that I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me. He's changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him. So this is kind of the first time we hear Jacob acknowledge the Lord. God did not permit him to harm me. Now, here's where you have to understand the debate. Okay, so verse 8, so here's what happened. Jacob went to Laban, and he says, listen, I, as a young man, I want to begin to build wealth, okay? And so he says to Laban, he says, listen, I'll take any of the speckled and spotted sheep. Speckled and spotted sheep will be mine. Sheep that are plain in color, whether it be black, brown, white, they'll be yours, right? And so Laban agrees to this wage, for Jacob. And then what we see, if you read the whole text is he then takes all the speckled and spotted sheep and he tells his sons, take them a three days journey away. And he does that so that they won't intermingle with the plain sheep. And that way Jacob doesn't get paid essentially. All right. And so this goes on throughout 20 years of Jacob's life. Whatever Laban agrees to pay him, he changes his wage. Yet verse eight, Jacob acknowledges this. He says, if he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. So this is one of the first times we hear Jacob acknowledging the hands of God. Now listen, let me, let me pause here for a minute, all right? Man, only a very foolish and proud person when it comes to prosperity, would not acknowledge the hand of the Lord. Yes? And by the way, if you're here this morning, I venture to say probably 99% of you are in this room this morning are in the top wealthiest 1% of the entire world. Even our low-income families, are in our, when it comes to globally speaking, are incredibly wealthy. And only a very foolish person would acknowledge the difference between blessing and poverty is a very fine line. And so the beginning of this reconciliation process is to understand, man, I'm under the hand of the Lord, and anything that I have that's good is, is from the blessing of the Lord. And so even Jacob, the schemer, acknowledges that the Lord has been with him. He says, the Lord has prospered me. We see this in 31, 11, and 12. It says, then the angel of God said to him in a dream, he said, Jacob, and he said, here I am. And he lifted his eyes. He said, see all the, see us and and see, all the goats that mate with the flock are striped and spotted and molded, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So, so the Lord shows up and says, man, I have provided for you, Jacob. There's not a person in this room that you can't look around and go, man, God has provided for me. And God protected Jacob. He says, I'm going to let you go back to your home country now. And we see this in verse 13. I am the God of Bethel 
where you anointed the pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. In other words, here he's got this contentious relationship with Laban, but God says go, and God says I'm going to protect you as you go. I'm going to skip verse 42, okay? And so only a very hard-hearted person would not acknowledge the hands of the Lord. And even now we begin to see Jacob begin to wrestle with, you know what, God has been with me. God has protected me. God has provided for me. And so if you're here this morning and you're a believer, I want to challenge you with this. Thanksgiving naturally flows from the heart of a believer. And that's your blank. Thanksgiving naturally flows from the heart of a believer. And you acknowledge, you know what, God has protected me. And God, as he's building this nation of promises, nation that, that, that is a nation of faith, a, a nation that will house the Messiah, he is building a nation of thanksgiving. And so we as believers should be a people of thanksgiving, Yes. Okay, let's start it again, right? We as believers should be a people of thanksgiving, yes? yes? Absolutely, right? We should be a people of thanksgiving. We have much to be thankful for. In fact, the beginnings of reconciliation, you know, I know you're trying to, like, how does this thread follow? The beginnings is, man, you know what? God has blessed me. One of the things that hurts me is around the Thanksgiving season is when I watching the news or whatever, and, and right around Thanksgiving in November, people start talking about, man, you need to give thanks. You need to be a people of thanks, to which, you know, a lot of these folks are atheists. And I'm like, what are we giving thanks to exactly? Right? I mean, isn't Thanksgiving the understanding that there's somebody or something out there bigger than me that has their hands involved in my life, that, that, that things don't just happen by chance, but man, the, you know, we get three or four days of rain in a row because we need it so that the things will grow and we're sick of it. And I'm just thankful the roof at Coastal is no longer leaking and you know, we go on and on, but man, we're thankful and we understand when God provides. And I don't know how an atheist says, what are you giving thanks to? The cosmos, as if it's caring and kind and generous. No, the beginning of Thanksgiving is understand that there's a God, and He's sovereign, and He's involved, and He cares, and He's merciful, and He's gracious to us. And Paul writes in Colossians 3, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With what, church? thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doing what, church? Giving thanks to God, the Father through Him. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, you call yourself a Christian, and at the center of that is walking with Him in thanksgiving. All right? So here's what we're going to do. Ready? I'm going to do an uncomfortable pause for a minute. I want you to take your note sheet out. I want you to take a pen. I want you to write three things that you're thankful for. Three things. Small group leaders. Small group leaders, look at me. Small, all my, you know, we have like 80 some. All right, small group leaders. I just gave you your opening question. Okay, there it is. Start your small group. Go around the room. All right. Hey, tell me what you're thankful for. 
Listen, Thanksgiving is something we do in November and then punt it to the curve until next November. Thanksgiving is something we do all year round, and as believers, we have much to be thankful for. And actually, the beginning of healing and reconciliation is to start with Thanksgiving, that the Lord's hand is with us, and we are blessed. And I can tell you something. Anytime in my small group that we've taken time to pause and give thanks, and we try to do it a couple times a year, anytime we do it, you know what happens? Tears start flowing, almost without fail. And it is hard to not pause and give thanks and have a sense of humility and gratitude. And man, the Lord has been good to me and the Lord is with me. Yes? Amen. All right, here's the second thing I want you to see. And we want to pull this from the story. Number two, living with God is my witness. And this is a very, very powerful tool towards healing and reconciliation. It's living with God as my witness. And so Laban chases Jacob down. God says to Laban, don't you hurt Jacob. And they finally meet up. And then when they meet up, this is what happens. In Genesis 31, verse 48, it says Laban. So they build this kind of this heap of stones as a memorial. And Laban says, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galilee, which is Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. And so he says, if you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Now let's think about that for a minute. Imagine if every single one of us left this room today and lived as if God is my witness. That's a powerful thought, yes? I mean, as a Christian, it should encourage us to live in righteousness. It should encourage us. Laban says, listen, you're about to leave. You're going to take my kids. You're going to take my daughters. And listen, when no one else sees, God still sees, Jacob. God sees all that we're doing. Luke chapter 8. Jesus says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known to come to light. Does that terrify you a little bit? 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, therefore do not pronounce judgment before it's time for the, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Listen, this thought of God is my witness should, as believers, cause us to walk in righteousness. Listen, there's nothing you look at on the internet that God doesn't know about. When you're out on that date with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, there's, God sees. Your parents might see, not see, uh, you know, whoever you think you're accountable to, they might not see, but ultimately you are accountable to the Lord and God sees. God is our witness. Jesus said there's nothing done in darkness that won't be brought to light. The effort that you give at work when the boss isn't around is seen by the Lord. The product that you take from your company that you think your company won't miss, it doesn't belong to you and no one else might see, but the Lord sees. 
The income that you hid from the IRS. Now we're just meddling, right? Now, like, man. Listen. Christians should be honest on their tax return. A hundred percent. Because Uncle Sam might not see, but the Lord sees. And Jesus taught us to do what? Render unto Caesar the stuff that's Caesar's. And if Caesar's taken too much, vote. Now, Jesus didn't say that, but I said that. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> it's one of the great things about our country. <clears throat> now, let me talk about the gospel, because if we're really honest, and by the way, the word gospel means good news. I mean, if we're really honest, like God is my witness. God, God knows my heart. He knows my thoughts. He knows my motives. He knows when I did a good deed out of a selfish motive. Did you ever do something good that you hope someone else would see and acknowledge? I mean, be honest, right? I mean, I do this all the time in my marriage. Honey, cleaning up the dishes kind of thing. Like, just letting you know, you know, and there went my reward. So, no, listen, the idea of standing before the Lord exposed completely where every motive, deed, thought is exposed before the Lord should terrify us that a holy God is going to see everything and that there is a debt that we owe him that we could never repay. And we're going to stand before him fully exposed. Everything in the darkness is going to be brought to light. And if you stand there before a holy God on your own accord, it should terrify you with your thoughts and your sins fully exposed, answering only to the almighty God of the universe as unto yourself. That thought should, should make you say, man, I am in need. I am in trouble. If I'm going to stand before the God unto my own being, I'm in huge trouble. And so the beginning of the gospel, the gospel is really two words. It's repent and believe. And the word repentance is this idea that I'm going to start by telling on myself. I'm going to go before the God of the universe. You know what, God? I'm all the things you say I am. I'm a liar. I'm a coveter. I'm greedy. I'm a cheater. I'm a fornicator. I'm an idol worshiper. I'm all of those things. Let me just call it what it is. And so what I need from you, God, is to save me. And so we repent and then we believe. And what does it mean to believe? Well, ultimately, it's to believe that God is true to his promises, yes? And what promises he made us? I'm going to save you. How is he going to save us? Well, he sent us his one and only son who died on a cross. And while he hung on the cross, God's holy wrath and hatred for sin was poured out on his one and only son. And then they placed him in a grave. And three days later, this thing that we're all terrified of called death couldn't hold our Savior, Jesus Christ. He rose again, authenticating his claims to be the Messiah. And according to the scriptures, when we say, telling ourselves and we acknowledge we're a sinner and we say, I'm believing in your promises, God. Your rescue plan is your son, Jesus Christ. When we believe in him, his good works, his perfect works now get credited to us by grace through faith alone. So that when we stand exposed before God, we say, God, don't see my works, see the works of your son. And the only reason I deserve to be in your presence is because you are a God that is true to your promises. Amen.
And so God is my witness should drive us to the gospel and should drive us to what we really need. And until you're driven to the gospel, until you understand, man, that the debt that I have been forgiven by God is so enormous, until we understand that, we will never be a people that forgive others. And so it's the debt of the gospel that allows us to freely forgive. It's the understanding of the gospel, the debt of our sin and the saving grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ that allows us to freely forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another. Apostle Paul said, tenderhearted. Why are we kind to one another? Why are we tenderhearted? Because other people deserve it? Is that what the text says? It's not because they deserve it. It's because we forgive one another. Why? As God in Christ has forgiven us. It's only when we consider our sin against God can we consider how much we've been forgiven. It's the idea that God sees all and God ultimately doles out justice, which means it allows us to let other people off the hook. No matter the offense against us, God sees or God saw and God will take care of justice. Here's the message of the gospel or here's the truth of the Bible. Every individual will either stand before God and to pay the penalty of their sins against God and against others, and they will bear that burden on themselves in the presence of a holy God one day, or their injustices and evils will be borne for them on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's true for everybody. You will either stand before God and bear the penalty of your sin, or your, the penalty of your sin has been borne for you. And once you understand, man, the penalty of my sin has been borne for me. I am now free to forgive and I am free to turn justice over to God who doles it out perfectly. And so this allows us to be free from the burden of anger and the, the burden of hatred and the burden of retaliation knowing that God who sees... God is my witness who sees will take care of justice. There's someone in this room that you need to hear that today. And you, you, you've, you've carried the burden of, I need to get back, I need... I need justice doled out. What, what happened to me? Nobody should have gone through. That person that did that to me, I, they, they need to pay that penalty. And this morning, you need to let that go. This morning, you need to contemplate your own sin in the presence of a holy God and say, man, I have been forgiven much and I trust in a good and a perfect and a just God. And in the right time, in his way, he will dole out justice, but I can let that one go. It's not up to me to exact justice anymore. Because our God sees and our God takes care of justice. And you and I will either bear the weight of our own sin upon ourselves for all eternity, or that 
weight of that sin has been borne for us in the person and work of Christ. Which leads me to my final point this morning. Reconciliation is possible when we fear the Lord. So this whole process started with Laban saying, God is my, God sees, and the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. In Genesis 31, 51, it says, Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over the heap to you, and you will not pass over, to, over the heap and this pillar to me to do harm. See, that's what forgiveness is. I, I'm no longer trying to manipulate this relationship to harm you. I'm going to let God take care of justice. And so he, Laban says, now we're free from harming each other. Genuine reconciliation requires that we fear the Lord. We understand the debt that we owe. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, when talking to someone about whatever you think their problem is, it says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It is the fear of the Lord that keeps us humble towards others. Now listen, I could preach a whole sermon on how brothers should go to brothers and sisters and sisters and talk about, hey, there's a sin in your life that might lead you on the path of death. I love you enough to point this out. There's definitely room for that. But even in that, man, we make sure that is done in incredible humility. But for the grace of God, there go I. And the fear of the Lord reminds me that I'm giving an account to the Lord about every relationship that I'm responsible for. And as much as it depends on me, Romans 12, I'm going to keep peace. And by the way, the, the church, the church, and when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about this building, okay? I'm talking about the people that, link, that say they're Christians, that link arms together for the good of the gospel. The church must blaze a trail of reconciliation. If the church isn't going to do it, who's going to do it? Listen, as our culture becomes more and more godless, did you notice that there just seems to be more and more division with every passing decade? Why is it? Because we're losing the fear of the Lord, so what happens? Well, it becomes all about me, and so we're living in a culture that only cares about me, and so what happens? We become more and more divided. Where should that not be the case? In the church. If the church can't be unified, if the church, Jesus said in John 13, how are they going to know you're my disciples when the music's really good? Isn't that what it says, when John 13 says? How are they going to know you're my disciples when the preacher is up there railing away? Man, he's just passionate. No, it doesn't say that either. How are they going to know my disciples when you feed hungry people? By the way, these are all things that we could do and should do. But Jesus said, they're going to know you're my disciple. How, church? By your love for each other. And if we can't love each other inside the church, the world's never going to get it. And the reason we're there's divisions in the church, and I'm not saying there's huge divisions in Coastal, but if there is, man, they need to be healed and reconciled. 
Because if the gospel's not touching our hearts and so that we can be reconciled, goodness knows if 20 years of scheming abuse between Laban and Jacob where there's money involved and wages involved and, and wives involved and all this twisted mess, if they can figure out a way to reconcile, surely the church of Jesus Christ that it knows of the suffering, death, and resurrection of God's son Jesus Christ should be able to reconcile. Amen? the church needs to be a place where when our feelings get hurt we work towards relational healing the church should be the place that bridges the gap of the racial divide if we can't do that in the church the world the the world has no clue i'm hearing more and more ridiculous proposals of how to do that by our government. And I'm like, that's not going to work. 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 You want to know what works? When our hearts are consumed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we look to the cross and we say, man, the debt that I owe God is, is so big. I mean, God is my witness. I'm not talking about being saved. I'm not talking about being a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives in us and all that. But apart from the gospel, God is my witness should terrify us. So if God is my witness, man, I need, and if we receive, and we look at the cross, we're like, man, that's how much God loved me. He sent his one and only son. And as he hung on the cross, God poured out his hatred and his anger and his holy wrath for every single wayward thought that Sean Brown has had. I said this last week when I was pre up in Gloucester that I'm, I've been a Christian for a long time now. I'm still shocked by some of the thoughts that go through my head. Like, man, what, what in the, where'd that come from? Thank God in His grace, He didn't allow me to act out on that one. And I think about that, man, Christ paid for that on the cross, and they laid Him in a grave, and He rose again. And when I understand how much grace I've been given... Who am I to hold a grudge against someone else? I remember when my, uh, my son Caleb was young, I remember one night I was helping him with uh, his homework. I, was, I believe it was math. So it was, he was probably in kindergarten because I was not much good. Once I started putting letters in math equations, I was like, what is this, you know? So, <clears throat> and... Uh, I was trying to explain to him this math equation. He wouldn't understand. I was trying to explain how to do it. And he had this worksheet that should have taken about 10 minutes, and it probably took an hour. And the longer it took, the more frustrated I grew and became. And, and I just was so impatient. I guess, you know, that hour was so valuable to me, whatever. And I was so impatient. And finally, at the end of this, you know, my volume rising, my impatience growing, he finally understood it. And we got done his homework sheet. And... Um, he turned when he got done and he hugged me. And he said, Daddy, thank you so much for helping me with my homework. And he ran off. And I was like, what? I've been a jerk for the last hour. What an incredible power 
incredible that, that one act of kindness. I mean, that, he didn't say this, but it was his way of saying, I forgive you, Dad. Can change a heart. It's, it's Jean Valjean, right? Jean Valjean, Les Mis, right? Steals the silverware, was brought before the priest, and what's the priest say? Hey, you forgot the candlesticks. Like, that's grace. How one act of kindness and forgiveness and patience and love can change a life, can soften a heart. Listen, they may be some of the most powerful things on earth, actually. Forgiveness, kindness, love. Mercy. I, I would venture to say that they're more powerful than the U.S. military. I would venture to say it's more influential than money. And because the Holy Spirit, as believers, resides inside of us, each of us has the power to grant it and to ask for it. How different would your marriage be if you started out date night with, hey, remember when I did this? Could you forgive me? Some of your spouses right now are laughing out loud. Like, really? That could happen? How different would some of our broken relationships be with, I'm not saying we say this out loud, but maybe there's been something done to you that's so hurtful. Next time you see that person, you, as you meet with them, instead of twisting and thinking about, man, how can I get revenge and how can I start harm? You start out with, as you're entering this relationship, you think, man, I forgive you. And so here we are, Genesis 30. It's the birthing of a nation, the nation of promise. It's the seeds of peace on earth fulfilled in Christ right? On Christmas morning, the angels show up. What do they say? Peace on earth and what, church? Goodwill towards men, right? And so when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, when he becomes our Savior, Romans 5, we have peace with God. And since we have peace with God, the natural overflow is peace with others. And if the church can't do it, there's no Democrat or Republican policy that's going to make peace on earth come. So here's my question, ready? Is there anyone in this church that you need to make amends with this week? Is there anyone this week that you, you need to schedule an appointment? Be honest, be kind, be gentle with the goal of reconciliation. Because if Jacob and Laban can walk away in peace with the Monument of stone and say, look, I'm not going to cross that monument to harm you. I'm no longer coming, coming over there to harm you in any way, and you're not harming me. And they can make peace and reconciliation. Then certainly New Testament believers filled with the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ and appropriate fear of the Lord can walk away in peace. How else will there ever be peace on earth? There can't be peace in the church. need to be a people that love one another, that mend broken relationships so that there's truly peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Let's close with prayer.
Nobody's looking around, and I'm not going to do anything weird, but I do want to let you know that maybe I touched a nerve today, and you need to talk to someone. I would under, fully understand that. I, please make use of our prayer chapel. Um, there's always some great people there that love the Lord, love you, want to pray with you. And so if there's something that, man, as I was talking, the Holy Spirit touched, there's a hurt that you just need, maybe God's encouraging you to go make peace this week, and you just need to go do that. But before you do that, you want to talk to someone, pray with someone. Our prayer chapel's on the way out to your right. Stop in there and pray. Ask someone to pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't yet have peace with God. If you don't have peace with God, you're not going to be able to make peace with others. It's just going to be you doing it on your own merit. I want to encourage you, have peace with God through Christ. He loved, God loves you. He doesn't want you to be enemies with Him. He's given you the opportunity to be at peace with Him. He sent you a rescue plan. It's His Son, Jesus Christ. We repent of sins. We believe in His rescue plan, Jesus. I mean, we are saved, and God says you have both abundant and eternal life. I'm going to offer a prayer. The prayer is just an opportunity to do business with the Lord. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you've, God's been working on your heart, and today you're like, man, I want to get straight with God so I can figure out peace around me. So this is an opportunity. You follow along in your heart. It's a simple prayer, but it's an opportunity to do serious business with the Lord. You can say this in your heart. Say this in your mind. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing me here this morning. I've recognized this morning that really I've been at war with you. I've sinned against you. My sin and brokenness has left everything around me falling apart. And so, as best I understand it, I acknowledge my sin and I believe that you love me so much. You sent your son Jesus to die for me, to live for me, to raise again, that I might have the hope of abundant and eternal life. As best I understand it, I put my trust in him. May I walk out of here knowing peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.